DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults is an adaptation of the Catholic Catechism. It serves as a resource for those who wish to become acquainted with Catholicism. It is an invitation for all the faithful to continue growing in the understanding of Jesus Christ and his saving love for all people. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Chapter 18, Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. God is rich in mercy. In the Sacrament of Healing, we are reconciled to God and the Church. Catechism of the Catholic Church, Numbers 1420-1498. Augustine, the sinner who became a saint. Very few men have had such an impact on Christianity as St. Augustine. He was born in A.D. 354 in North Africa, at that time a strong and dynamic Christian region. His father was a prominent pagan, but his mother Monica was a devout Christian. She intended that Augustine be baptized, but in his adolescence he distanced himself from the church and did not want to be baptized. He studied Latin literature and became a follower of an esoteric philosophy known as Manichaeism. He had a mistress with whom he lived for 15 years. She bore him a son, but he later broke off with her while living in Milan, where they had gone because he had been given a teaching position there. He found himself gradually more attracted to Christianity as he listened to the preaching of St. Ambrose, the bishop of Milan. But he resisted conversion, though his mother prayed persistently for him. In a book entitled The Confessions, written in his later years as a spiritual and theological reflection on his life, Augustine describes the final steps to his conversion. He had felt the tension between the attachment to his sinful ways and attraction to Christ and the Gospel. One day in the year 386, he went crying into the garden of the house where he was staying with friends. He was weeping because of his inability to make a decision for conversion. But then, he heard the voice of a child from a neighboring house singing the refrain, Take it and read. Take it and read. He picked up the letters of St. Paul and read the first passage his eyes fell upon. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in promiscuity and licentiousness, not in rivalry and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. Augustine recognized the grace of God in this reading and embraced conversion. He was baptized by St. Ambrose in 387 and returned to North Africa in 388. In 391, while visiting the town of Hippo, he was urged by the Christian population to become a priest. He accepted, though reluctantly. In 395, he became Bishop of Hippo. As a Christian, priest, and bishop, he wrote numerous books to explain and defend Christian doctrine. His homilies and sermons were written down, and they witnessed to the depth and power of his preaching. He died in 430. Augustine knew the damaging effects of sin. 
In the confessions, he admits his own sinfulness even as a boy. Many and many a time I lied to my tutor, my masters, and my parents because I wanted to play games or watch some futile show. I was impatient to imitate what I saw on the stage. But he also experienced the greater power of grace, of God's enabling us to overcome sin and accept the gospel of his Son. St. Augustine knew God's mercy and the forgiveness of sins gained for us by Jesus Christ. Today, Catholics encounter the same mercy and forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. Welcome, Your Excellency. Thank you, Chris. We've just heard the story of St. Augustine. It is a remarkable gift that we have, this opportunity to receive that great grace that comes from confessing our sins. That's the occasion. The, great, the grace comes from the Lord, of course. It comes from the power of his death and resurrection. It's really the heart of his saving mission to bring mercy and reconciliation to those of us who have been broken by sin and by, by the effects of sin. It is a beautiful sacrament. The Catechism calls it one of the two sacraments of healing, along with the, the sacrament of anointing of the sick, which we'll get to later. It is a very powerful experience of the healing mercy of Christ. I just love the fact that they did use St. Augustine in his story, because besides St. Paul, probably who had the most profound conversion experience of all Christian history, St. Augustine's is right up there. Who among us hasn't had those times in our lives where we've just been so separated and so lost that being able to experience that healing that you just spoke of is uh, so vitally important. St. Augustine's a famous sinner. He's famous because he has told us about his experiences in a very beautiful way, but certainly did not only experience a moment of conversion, but a process of conversion by coming to Christ, which is how it happens. And that's what we're uh, invited to do, privileged to do in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. We come to the Lord away from ourselves, kind of out of ourselves, and entrust ourselves to his mercy, believe that we can have a fuller life in him than we can make for ourselves. It's the delusion of sin, of course, that we can a better life for ourselves than, than what God has planned for us. And it's giving up that delusion and uh, taking responsibility for our actions and choices and admitting the harm that we've done to ourselves and to others by hanging on to that delusion. But giving that up and turning to the Lord and then allowing ourselves to be filled with him and with the, the light of his grace. It recounts in this particular chapter the fact that, indeed, Jesus forgave sins. He said it so often, even to those he was healing in a physical nature, before anything else, he would forgive their sins. It is very, very important that we have that appreciation of how our brokenness from sin can affect us on every level of our lives. The effect of sin is brokenness, our disintegration, our separation. I mean, there are no, any number of ways of, of uh, talking about it. But beginning with original sin, the same with our own sins, it, it causes a separation between us and God and between me and you. I feel it within myself. We're at odds often with the created world. So this beautiful harmony that God created and always intends has been disrupted by human willfulness, by human choosing. Right at the heart of, of the mission of Jesus, given to him by his heavenly Father, at the heart of his obedience to the will of the Father, that forgiveness and healing be offered in the place of, of brokenness and sin. Because Jesus forgave sins, there are many out there who may feel in their hearts, well, I've sinned. And I've prayed, and I asked Jesus to forgive me. Why would I need to go 
to a person to admit that. There's several ways of addressing that, and one of them is that we see the sacrament as an opportunity, not as a burden, but someone is feeling it's a burden at the moment. It's a way that we respond in a practical, sacramental way to the invitation to come to the Lord. Just as we saw the priest in the Eucharist as a sacramental presence of Jesus at the head of the community, so that's how we encounter him in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. He's a person, all right, but he's a living sacrament of Jesus who can offer this personal invitation to repent and to be forgiven and then can speak in words that we can understand in the church, the words of absolution, so that we don't rely simply on a pious imagination about forgiveness or some kind of a general or vague sense of of mercy. But because we've sinned in particular circumstances, we're able to be forgiven and reconciled in very particular circumstances. It's always remarkable when I'm standing, which I have to often do, in line for confession, to see as we're all standing there waiting, waiting, there's ponderous feeling in the air, except when the person who is coming out of the confessional, there's a lightness about them. I mean, they're, they're walking straighter. They may have a tear, but there's something that happens. And then when we experience, there seems to be a lifting that there's nothing quite like it in the world. No, it, it's true. And we experience something very real. It's not just our imagination. Because the sin weighs us down, and it pulls us apart inside ourselves. It disconnects us in important ways from the community of believers. And it, it's an injustice against God. And as we said in, in some of the very earliest chapters of the adult catechism, you know, we're made for union with God and, and for life with God. When our sinful choices disrupt that, we're not right. And we feel it. And we feel it in our spirits, but we feel it in our, our bodies, our emotions, too, in various ways. And so there is a, an experience in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation of having that burden lifted, having the, the chains that bind us perhaps to sinful habits, to sinful inclinations, to have those loosened, and we do. When we present ourselves, the the ideal would be that we have true contrition for our sin, that we have to realize what we've done. How does that look, Archbishop Lucas? I mean, how do we know that we truly are contrite? Well, we just do our best. There are degrees of contrition, certainly, but the Church doesn't require that our contrition be perfect. We may come and ask for forgiveness because we're afraid of what our fate might be, we're afraid of going to hell, perhaps. We may be just disgusted with ourselves. We, we may be very embarrassed by something that we've done that's displayed a gross lack of integrity or you know, betrayed our vocation as a baptized member of the Church. There are all kinds of things that could move us in the direction of, of wanting to, to confess our sins and wanting to be forgiven. Perfect contrition means that we are just filled with a desire to love God and to act in a way that is pleasing to God because we know that's what we're created for and that bespeaks a kind of integrity you know, that, that we desire to have as disciples of Christ. Grace works in all kinds of, of ways and so whatever it is that helps us stop on a sinful path and turn around and turn towards Christ, we find he's right there waiting for us, anxious to meet us. We have the experience, much like the prodigal son did that we perhaps start to think of all kinds of things to say to try to win our place back in the household of faith. And we find that God has sent his son to meet us, and he's given his life so that what we do desire is very possible. And we see that we may desire forgiveness and reconciliation. God desires it much more and makes that possible for us. But contrition is a necessary aspect of it because God's mercy is a gift. We don't earn it, and we have to be open to receiving it. It's not forced on us at all. And our contrition is the the openness 
It's the humility that enables us to, to take responsibility for choosing selfishly instead of choosing you know, what God is offering us in his saving plan. And if we're not at some level able to admit that we have been wrong, that we've sinned, then the gift of mercy, in a sense, can't penetrate us. God's not going to force it on us. For some, the biggest block in encountering that healing of this particular sacrament may be the perception of shame in their hearts that I can't possibly say this out loud to another person. And in a very real way, that's how we've come to understand, in some ways, the effects of spiritual warfare, that the enemy of God and of us would not want us to relieve ourselves of that burden. And so the shame is a heavy cloak. Right, the devil doesn't give up on us. So the devil tempts us initially to sin, and when we fall into sin, then the devil tempts us to think that that it is so shameful that we can't be forgiven. Or we need to focus on our embarrassment at really admitting what we've done. That's part of developing a healthy spiritual consciousness and developing a healthy conscience is that that sense of being able to judge ourselves rightly so that we can admit the truth about ourselves. We admit what is sinful, admit our part in in the sin, admit our, our sinful choices. But then also recognize that now I call myself to account so that I can turn to the Lord and, and receive forgiveness and, and reconciliation and healing for what I have done. That the judgment is not so that I can be ashamed of myself, but it, it's so that I can see myself as I am, and then I might uh, turn to the Lord, who knows me already, and who, who sees me really better than I see myself, and who wants only healing and life for me. A meditation from the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. A paraphrasing of the parable of the prodigal son, also known as the parable of the forgiving father. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 22. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my inheritance now. The father agreed giving his son the inheritance that was due to him. Upon receiving it, the son traveled to a foreign country where he wasted his money on sinful pleasures. Totally broke, he found himself in a land facing its own financial woes because of a famine. A swineherd gave him a job taking care of the pigs. So small were his wages that he could not even buy enough food to feed himself. He yearned to eat the food given to the pigs, but he was not allowed to. Hitting rock bottom, he came to his senses, realizing that his father's workers had plenty to eat while he was starving. He decided to go home, apologize to his father and to God for his sins, declare that he was unworthy to be called his father's son, and ask for a job on the estate. Meanwhile, the father sorely missed his young son. Each day he stood on a hill, peering into the distance, aching to see his son and hoping he would come home. Then one day, he saw his son coming toward him. He ran to his son, hugged and kissed him, and praised God for his son's return. 
with tears of joy and much embracing, the father smothered the repentant words of his son. The father jubilantly called out to his servants to clothe the son in the best robe and to put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He ordered the fattened calf to be slain and roasted for a feast. Why? Because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Luke chapter 15 verse 24 The older son heard the excitement and asked what it was about. When he heard the reason, he was furious, pouting. He refused even to enter the house. The father came out and pleaded with him to come inside and celebrate the homecoming of his younger brother. The older son argued that his younger brother did not deserve this party. He had wasted his inheritance. Why should he, who had been the good and faithful son and never had a party that was given in his honor, be humiliated by experiencing the festive meal, joyous music, and enthusiastic welcome for such a good-for-nothing brother? The father replied that the older son had absolute security and the utmost love and regard for his father. Everything the father owned belonged to him. My son, be forgiving and generous of heart. Your brother was dead and is now alive. We must celebrate, rejoice in his return to us in this home of love. Usually, the story is named after the prodigal son who wasted his inheritance, but it could just as well be entitled The Forgiving Father, as he has a heart of sheer generosity and spends his love lavishly on forgiving and welcoming his son back home. In scriptural terms, the son represents a sinner in need of forgiveness who is moved to repent, confess his sin, and humble himself before God. The father in the story represents God's immense compassion rich in mercy and ever willing to search out sinners and offer them the forgiveness that brings them home. The story encourages us to trust in God, the Father's love and forgiveness, which we receive in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. When we talk about the humility of the sacrament of the person who comes forward to receive it, I can't even imagine the humility it must take for you and for priests who hear those confessions and administer on behalf of Christ that wonderful gift of absolution, of the removal, not just the cloaking, but the removal of that burden from that person's heart. It's a great privilege and, and a great joy. When I was a young priest, I remember an older priest telling me, after hearing confessions for many years, he said, one, one of the things that you learn, it seems like a contradiction, but you learn how good people are. Mm-hmm. He said, you would think that you're listening to people's sins, you're learning how bad they are, but really, at that moment, what better thing could a, a person be doing than coming to the Lord to receive forgiveness, to, to take responsibility for what he or she has done, and then to receive forgiveness? So sure, we, we've all made sinful choices, and you know, priests are penitents too. We have to, have to and have the opportunity to receive forgiveness and, and reconciliation ourselves. But to be able to mediate that in the name of Christ, in the communion of the church, is, is a, a tremendous privilege. 
And I think we would all have the same experience that if we're in the confessional or at a penance service, wherever it is that where people are having the opportunity to confess their sins and, and be, be forgiven, you, don't, you never have to really ask yourself, is this where God wants me to be? We know that it is. It's right where God wants us to be. And it's a delicate moment, you know, and, and so priests need to, to take it seriously, take it, approach it prayerfully. Because we know ourselves from our own experience as sinners, and we see beautifully in the parable of the prodigal son, how what a delicate moment it is when the person can sort of step out of the pigsty and take that chance of turning back to return to the father's house and not being sure, perhaps, what kind of reception he or she will receive. So it's up to the priest in, in human terms to make sure that we do receive the penitents as Christ himself mm-hmm. does with great patience, with great love and and care. And that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we try to help the penitent maintain this balance of being properly sorry for sin and and properly accountable for sin, but not beating himself up or herself so much they become sort of incapable of receiving the gift of mercy because they've accepted this lie that they're not forgivable, that they're not precious in God's sight any longer because something that, that they have done. So it's a beautiful privilege to be a confessor and to celebrate the sacrament with penitence and to be able, certainly through the power of the Holy Spirit, to mediate God's forgiveness and, and healing, but also in a, in a very human way to mediate the importance of being accepted in the communion of the Church. What a beautiful way of offering that to us, Your Excellency. I mean, just that imagery of the prodigal son, but in that, as you said, the delicate moment of where the Father restores the dignity of the son or daughter. And that's essentially what happens to us. So that's what I'm hearing you say in that gift of that sacrament. Mm -hmm. The dignity that's given to us first at baptism when we're clothed Mm -hmm. with Christ, that's stained, that's diminished by our sinfulness, that grace and that that dignity of of baptismal life is restored in the sacrament. So the the sacrament's a beautiful provision that God makes for the fact that we're going to live a while, most of us, after we're baptized, and that we're not perfect. We are still, even though original sin itself is uh, lifted at the time of baptism, the effects of that original sin remain in us and our humanity. And so our wills are weakened and our intellects are clouded. So even sometimes with the best intentions as we approach uh, challenges in the moral life particularly, we end up making bad decisions. Again, not just stumbling into something, not just making a mistake, but mm-hmm. but really succumbing to the temptation that what's evil really might be good for us in this case. That's the original temptation, and it's pretty characteristic of almost every temptation. So we do sin, and again, it's the desire of the church, and it's the, the desire of the Lord that we take our sins seriously, but we don't take them too seriously. Because mm-hmm. if we take them too seriously, then, then we remain focused on ourselves and, and on what's wrong with us. And there are some things wrong with us, but we need to be drawn always to, to turn our attention to Christ. And that's the beauty of the sacrament of penance and, and reconciliation, that we have a personal encounter with Christ that enables us to f- focus properly on our sins and to take responsibility for them, but then to move from there to a place of healing and reconciliation. The word mercy just jumps out, doesn't it? I mean, it is what it is to be merciful and to be able to allow yourself to receive that gift of mercy. I think it was part of the reason that Blessed John Paul II wanted to present this Feast of Divine Mercy to the whole church. Many people were already 
celebrating that great devotion. It's a reminder to us of the availability of mercy, but how important it is for us to to accept it. And in our culture, we have both extremes, I think, all due to the, the devil pushing us far to one side or the other, either to try and convince ourselves that sin doesn't exist or that it's not important, doesn't make any difference. You know, we see the effects of sin all around us. It's kind of hard to make that case, but we can make it for ourselves well enough, I suppose. But on the other extreme, to think that mercy isn't available. We've sinned and and there's no hope for us. So the the whole teaching about divine mercy, it's not a new teaching at all. It's it's the gift that is the result of of Easter. That's why that that Feast of Divine Mercy is so beautifully celebrated at the end of the octave of Easter, Mm -hmm. because we ask, well, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. What's that to me? Well, to me, that's mercy. That means that even though I've sinned, that I can be reconciled and be healed. And we have to keep celebrating Easter because we still need mercy. (laughs) Again, if the Lord had cured us of all sin and nobody ever born after that ever committed a sin, then we could remember Easter from a long time ago. But we celebrate it every year and then the divine mercy that flows from the power of the Lord's death and resurrection because we keep sinning. Again, I say that, I don't say it lightly, but that's the truth. Mm -hmm. But Jesus gives us a life-giving way to deal with that sad truth. A prayer found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins because of thy just punishments, but most of all because they offend thee, my God, who art all good and worthy of all my love. I firmly resolve, with the help of thy grace, to sin no more and to avoid the near occasions of sin. Amen. As we have spoken about in so many of the other areas in this particular reflection on the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, there's so much more in this chapter to help and guide and to instruct those who are seeking to have a greater understanding. But in closing on this particular segment, what would you say to anyone out there who's listening that's wondering, should I be going to confession? Whether it's been, I haven't been there for 15 years, or I was there last week but there's something going on inside of me. I mean, what, what would you say to them, Archbishop? Well, the simple answer is yes, you, sh- you should be going to confession. This is one of the sacraments of the church. It's one of the most powerful and intimate contacts we have with the risen Christ. And so Jesus is offering us that. We don't want to avoid it. We're all guilty of sin. We judge ourselves how often is appropriate to celebrate the sacrament, but 15 years is too long, way too long. And yet, if it's been 15 years since you've been to confession, if you just walk right in with the help of God's grace and tell the priest, I haven't been to confession for 15 years. He will be so happy to see you in the name of Christ, in the person of Christ himself, and will want to do everything he can to make it possible for you to make a a good confession. You can't remember all your sins for the past 15 years. You can't remember all the good things you did either. Mm -hmm. It's not expected that you can. But the, the priest will help you to name the substantially what are your sins, and particularly to recall any mortal sins. And the forgiveness and the mercy of God are available to you, and God wants nothing more than for you to receive that. So many parishes now have very helpful guides available in the back of church or in the pamphlet rack. You can get them online, too, that talk about how to go to confession, so how to approach the sacrament, and particularly how to make a good examination of conscience. In other words, to really take stock and take responsibility of the way we've been living, the decisions that we've made, both in big things and in small things. My encouragement, particularly anybody who's listening, who understands that you're guilty of a mortal sin, where you feel like you've made a serious 
decision to turn away from God in an important aspect of your life. Don't delay and, and don't listen to the lie of the devil that either you don't need to be forgiven or that you can't be. Find out the truth about how much God loves you and how free you can be from the burden of that sin through the power of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thanks. My privilege. You've been listening to the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. To learn more about the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, go to usccb.org, the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas.